the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero carbon. East off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins. It's a brand new year and one big resolution from us to continue bringing you the biggest stories on the green agenda. We might just be a mere week into 2021, but the inbox is piling up with environmental stories in need of exposure. Dale Vince, of course, as you know, is our man in the driving seat on all of this. Uh, morning to you, Dale. Yeah, morning, Ian, and happy new year and all that. Yeah, and and you too. Did you do the rave, you know, invite several friends around and, you know, the mother of all blowouts <laughs> on New Year's Eve? Actually, I stayed up past midnight for the first time in a very long time. Did you? Yeah, yeah my, I've my, not done that. My son really was like super keen to do it, so I did yeah. it with him. Yeah, Are you, I think sometimes, you know, when you're that age, you kind of, you're sort of expecting something to happen at midnight. I don't yeah. know whether there's a sort of sense, you know, will you experience something yeah and and you know i think uh, actually a, a bunch of adults were as well weren't they i mean i saw quite a lot of commentary around uh the idea that thank god 2020 was over and we could start a new year and i was thinking well look no, yeah. nothing's changed in in one day do you know what i mean we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna wake up in the same world <laughs> yeah yeah but there we have it uh, and we continue in a lockdown, of course. Um, but these stories, as I mentioned at the beginning, they I mean, they don't go away, and, and rightly so, they shouldn't go away. I was just intrigued to start. We'll come to uh, Veganuary in a second, because that um, looks as if that's in- incredibly successful. I want to talk about this business of plants having feelings, because this it's not an entirely new subject, but there is, it seems, maybe some new research around this. Yeah, I was reading that this morning. Sentience in particular was the subject of the research using some French beans. I don't know why they couldn't use English beans, for God's sake. You know, we're not part of Europe anymore. But anyway. (laughs) That's um, what went wrong. (laughs) That'll be what it is. French beans are just smarter. (laughs) And uh, they they tried to kind of, uh, they set up a series of experiments that, that was similar to mimicking sticking a blindfolded human into a room and not telling them there was an object there. Um, yeah. uh, so in, in the case of a bean, it was a pole and the pole was either near them or not near them. And they observed the behavior of the bean in both cases. And it was different, leading them to believe that the bean knew what it was doing or knows what it's doing. Uh, other scientists say that's not quite how they interpret it and, and all of that stuff. But it's a very interesting story. Have you ever kind of gone down that route of, you know, with a, you do hear some real evangelists talk about um, plants and, and, and feelings. Well, of course, they don't have a central nervous system, so that you'd think that would be enough to, to kind of ward off that particular allegation. But there are, there's a small contingent of people that feel quite strongly about that. I mean, what would you... Well, how would we eat? Yeah, well, there's, there's an issue. And, you know, I've heard this before from kind of uh, what, you, what you might describe as uh, rabid meat-eating uh, types that, that absolutely... Uh, angry with the whole vegan and plant-based agenda and yeah. and you know the classic comeback is plants have feelings too and uh and you're murdering plants and it's like oh wow, my god you know i mean there is a world of difference of course between mammals and plants in terms of biology and physiology and all that kind of stuff but yeah yeah i mean for me it would be a scary thought to think that plants had any kind of uh self-awareness and uh 
you know, any of the attributes that uh, that intelligent life has. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want to be dismissive of the, uh, the the wonderful world of plants and fruit and veg, but I mean, have you have you looked at a parsnip? I mean, that's not making any decisions anytime soon, is it? <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> I, I say without any kind of uh, agricultural qualification. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's fair. Yeah. Uh, but let's let's stick with a food-based theme because a record half a million people have signed up for Veganuary, uh, the challenge, of course, to eat only plant-based foods for a month. And the theory, of course, is enough people you know sign up to it, and the legacy is that many of those people carry it on. Yeah, and I think three years ago it was 150,000 people. So you know, it's, it's grown in popularity. It's become a yeah. global thing, which is fantastic. And off the back of that, supermarkets are, are pumping out an increasing number of vegan and vegetarian lines. Uh, I mean, it's like they're competing with each other now. Tesco, Sainsbury's, Ocado, you know, all those people, uh, a stock and co-op as well, increasing amounts of, of stuff. Uh, which is fantastic. And fast food outlets, schools like Greg's, even McDonald's have got a plant-based burger. You know, I mean, I think plant-based food is taking over and it's something that more and more people are concerned about because they become aware of it. And I think we have the internet to thank for that. And um, it's about human health primarily for most people and the climate crisis. And I think, you know, for some people, people choose their own reasons, but the three are human health, climate and animal rights. And some people prefer one to the other. You know, I embrace all three, all three of them bother me. Um, but I think this is the way the world is moving. And there are people that don't like it. There's a story in the press this week from the uh, the beef farming lobby. They've mm-hmm. uh, commissioned a report that says UK's beef herds could be the key to sustainable farming. Uh, we just need to stop eating, guess what, pigs and chickens, but we can carry on eating beef. This is from the beef lobby. <laughs> I love that because now because because what I see here in is the the uh, the meat industry fighting amongst itself now for market share. We've got the the cow farmers saying, "Look, just stop yeah. stop eating chickens and pigs. Cows are okay." <laughs> I I, I've uh, I have no qualification in the world of auditing, but I think I've spotted the conflict of interest. Their, uh, <laughs> yeah. their point there. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And uh, well, yeah, what can I say? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, meat, meat cows more. are just fine. Don't, yeah. don't touch the chickens, the cows, though. They're all good. But we re- when we reach the point where they're fighting amongst themselves and attacking each other, then we, you know, we, we've reached a really important milestone in, in the whole argument uh, about not eating meat. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. there have been a couple of stories around disease and animal farming. So uh, there's a deadly pig virus that's just blown up in Germany that looks like it's threatening the industry there. And bird flu, of course, has become a thing and is now threatening the uh, the duck industry in France. Of course, it's all European business, nothing to do with us. Uh, but it's but it's happening, you know, and it's symptomatic of intensive factory farming. You know, it's just a yeah. sick business. Um, here's a point from Alex on Twitter, who says, uh, after this week's shame, is it time to stop giving Trump oxygen in the intro to this podcast? Uh, that's a fair point, I think, and I, I understand from the the technical team behind this podcast, uh, Dale, that he's due to be impeached from the intro on the day that he leaves office. Well, you know, that was my instinct when I read the comment. I thought, yeah, you're right. You know, we shouldn't give him oxygen. But then when you put the words shame and oxygen together, I thought to myself, do you know what? We should keep giving oxygen to his shame, actually. This is a man who's going to be dumped from the the biggest job on the planet in in absolute Mm. disgrace. And uh, I quite like the fact that it's happened. And and some of the stuff that he's done and said, you know, is is going down in history. There's no doubt about it. So I'm a bit kind of ambivalent on that. Let's have a chat afterwards, see if we leave him in little bit longer he's not gone yet obviously he's got 20 days left although Um, there is a there's a a suggestion that he could be kicked out today 
Impeached in as the real in, world. In, mm. yeah, yeah, in the real world, yeah. be, be, because there is a, this 25th Amendment thing which would allow that to to happen. But it, it means quite a lot of moving parts need to all come together at the same time. And I think that a lot of those people are busy elsewhere, so they might just take on, have you, have you extra... 20 days or whatever it is i think i think it needs mike pence to find his moving parts um and because he's the man with the finger on the trigger but he won't do that so uh that leaves uh congress with with impeachment which won't remove him immediately but yeah. uh, they actually have the power to prevent him from ever holding public office again and uh, i think they should use that because otherwise this man hasn't gone away i said to somebody this week who would you know who would the republicans get to replace uh, or is the, the person they would rally around with a view to being their, their next uh, leader, you know, the, the, the person that would challenge uh, the, the 2024 election. And they said, Mike Pence. And I thought, <laughs> are, you, are you for real? And, I mean, Mike Pence, when you dig, you haven't got to dig too deep onto the character of Mike Pence to see there's an absolute dysfunctional ass clown there as well. Well, actually, I think he's got all the charisma of that parsnip you were talking about earlier. You were right. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned, you know, Mitt Romney. I, I mentioned to this guy, I said, what about Mitt Romney? Because if you want somebody who's going to kind of look the fun, Mitt Romney straight out of central casting this fellow, and by all accounts, quite a decent bloke. And he's had a go once before and didn't make it happen. But, you know, seems like a, a, a reasonable fella in, on that side of the political spectrum. Uh, and he said, oh, no, Pence would be much better than Romney. And I think this is where often, I mean, all parties get it wrong, whether it's left or right. But I think the right get it spectacularly wrong. And the, the greatest example, of course, was the Conservatives putting Ian Duncan Smith in as their leader a few years ago. And somebody thought that might work because they quite liked what he stood for. But they didn't realize that in order to execute or sell his his ideology, you've got to have some verve about you. And, you know, he's about as alive as a house brick when it comes to public speaking. So... Um, and I think Pence is kind of in that category. But maybe yeah. they'll make that error. Well, these these things are like football games, aren't they? Where you've got two teams on the pitch. And in the era of uh, of this this guy, the Tories were standing up new leaders only for Tony Blair to knock them down one after the other. And yeah. you know, yeah. their their real problem was not that they had a leader that was was rubbish. Uh, was that Labour had a great leader? And you know, they've got a leader that's rubbish now. But but it's okay because you know he won the election because of who he was facing. And I like Jeremy but you know the electorate didn't and um and before that cameron you know um so it's like a, it's like a game of football yeah. uh, when when you when you judge a game of football you, you've got to always bear in mind that there are two teams on the pitch you could look at your team and say we were fantastic uh, but you've got to think well were the other team rubbish or was it a mixture of both you know uh here's some big news for ecotricity geothermal power what's this about dale Oh, yeah. Uh, electricity made from an underground source of renewable energy, which I really quite like because, you know, we're, we're quite used to fossil fuels being dug up from the ground. Uh, but renewable energy tends to be above ground, the wind and the sun primarily. Uh, yeah. Geothermal has been around for a long time, of course. I think Iceland is is virtually completely powered by geothermal due to its unique geology, but it hasn't happened in Britain before. Uh, some guys have drilled about three miles deep uh, in Cornwall, and tapped into some water hot enough to make energy. And I think uh, within about 12 months, the first project will be producing power for about 10,000 homes a year. And we've signed wow. a PPA to make that happen. And uh, they're looking at some other sites. And I think geothermal has got potentially a great role to play. The key, the absolute key, is the cost of drilling. And then it could work in other parts of the UK as well. But the bit that I love the best is the idea to take an old power station, like a gas or a coal-fired power station, 
and to drill and turn it into a geothermal power station because all of the other assets that you need are there. You've got the grid, you've got the turbines, you've got the transformers and all that kind of stuff. You just need to give it a different source of heat. So instead of burning fossil fuels, give it some underground heat. And I think it's a marvelous idea because we've got the sites, we've got to close them down, stop burning stuff, and we could repurpose them uh, and we could produce baseload renewable energy at these old power stations. Yeah, I, I mean, I hear you, Dale, but I have to say you're completely wrong on this. And I'll tell you why you're wrong, because Robert Jenrick knows better. Um, he, of course, is the community secretary, uh, but environmental campaigners um, are not happy with him because he's he's kind of not blocked a, a new coal mine. I mean, when you see the headline coal mine, you think, oh, this is an old newspaper cutting from the 80s. <laughs> yeah. um, Thatcher's back. Ah. Yeah. I, I mean, you just kind of assume that kind of stuff has gone or at least phased out not reopening or starting a new one. What's going on here? Actually, it's a good point. Thatcher closed them down, didn't she? She wasn't a fan of coal. But I'll tell you what's going on here. I mean, it, it does sound on the face of it um, all kinds of wrong and anti the climate agenda and that kind of stuff. But the coal that they're planning to dig out from under the sea, in fact, the land-based mine is going to extend out under the sea, is for coking, for making steel. And I don't know if there is uh, a renewable alternative to that. I haven't looked into it, but it's not for making energy. No, it's, they're not going to be putting this on your fire, but it's, it's not a good look, is it? Well, no, no, no. But I, I think it's a serious issue that, that needs to be looked at. Uh, you know, do we need to use fossil fuels like this in industrial processes to make materials? Uh, you know, do we not have a renewable alternative? I don't know the answer to that. I don't think Robert Jenrick knows either, but, uh, you know, there it is. He probably met somebody at a Tory dinner who said, look, this is a great idea. And that was it. Yeah. Have a look at this, Bob. And uh, off it was signed, uh, which often, <laughs> so often seems to be the case. Uh, this came from Martin Deadman. This is cracking stuff. Loved hearing you mention Forrest Green's bar uh, is the green man. Um, like you, hope you don't mind. I made a new pub sign for you. And he sent this through to us, and we've both seen it, Dale. And it, mm. it this looks pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in the couple of days since we've had it, we've... Uh, We've turned it round uh, and it's being made for us now. We're, we're putting up a new sign on the Green Man Pub at Forest Green using the image. You know, thanks very much for that. We really like it. And so, yeah, we're going to use it. And thanks for Does Martin know yet? Has yes, he, he does. Yes. That his great artwork is going to be. Yes, because we asked him first for permission. Oh, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. You don't want a big old invoice. We did find out he works for Saatchi and Saatchi. <laughs> <laughs> Three million pound for that, thank you. Yeah. Uh, this <laughs> this comes from Dan on Twitter. Dale, what are your predictions for twenty twenty one for both the planet and Forest Green Rovers? Big question. I don't know which one's biggest of those two. Yeah, I'm going to take Forest Green first. Um, I think we're in with a real shout of promotion to League One um, at the end of this season, which obviously lands almost halfway through twenty twenty one. Um, and we should get started on our training ground at Junction 13. Not quite yet on the stadium, but we'll take more steps in in that direction. And you know, so we'll be a League One club uh, building our own training ground. So these would be big steps for Forest Green. For the environment, it's it's a job to know. We've got COP 26 being held here by our government. Um, so I mean, that that's a shame to put those two things in the same sentence. COP 26, you know, could be good for the world, but it's being run by our government. So yeah, maybe maybe not. Uh, but we'll we'll see what we can do it on the campaign front around that. But there's you know some great um, some great hope in the news this week around the climate crisis. A, a new study, some new modelling shows that if we do get to net zero, when we get to net zero, uh, we can avoid runaway climate change. And you know there is hope we can reduce carbon 
in in the atmosphere over time and reduced or, or controlled temperature rise. Um, so. Uh, I only read that this week, and you know it's, it's a brilliant piece of modelling that that shows that it's uh, it's not all over actually uh, on the climate front. We have we have every opportunity to turn this round. So I like that. Let's let's hope COP twenty six achieves something. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing. What I find fascinating about the kind of position of of Boris Johnson, I know if we had a government minister sitting here, they would reel off all of their their green credentials and how it's an improvement on previous governments have exceeded targets here there's always a, a kind of a spin on it but i mean in order for example to appease what you would like to see or even partly appease i mean there's no there's nothing there's no loss for them is there there's no, there's no loss for them to do it i mean there might be a few right wingers who are a bit pissed off that they've gone down the green but they're not going to lose their vote they would only stand to gain uh, respect from people like yourself and other people of a, a different part of the political spectrum yeah, I think that's what David Cameron thought when uh, you know he campaigned when when he ran his first election. He was said he was going to run the greenest government ever, and I think he had exactly that same thought in mind. But what the reality he found was his his party rejected that, and although it was popular in the country, it wasn't popular in the Tory party. I don't know if that has changed, um, but you'd think it would be an easy decision to make. Last week, where you know when we finally left the EU. There was a story about the tampon tax, VAT on sanitary yeah. products and, and how the government uh, kind of basically were deceitful in claiming that now we're out of the EU, we could finally deal with that when, in fact, the EU were dealing with it anyway. Uh, but push that slightly to one side. And, you know, linked to that, you've got this long outstanding grievance that many people in the renewable industry have that if you want to put solar panels on your home, you pay 20% VAT. If you want to burn coal to power your home, you pay 5%. So I think, you know, the government had this great opportunity for a Brexit dividend in the green arena. You know, let's take VAT off of solar panels, off of energy efficient products, off of electric cars. You know, they don't need to bung grants to people to buy electric cars. Just stop taking tax from them to buy electric cars. There's a huge opportunity here. We're going to launch a campaign probably in the next week or so uh, based around that. And it kind of links into the book, of course, Manifesto, Cue the Bugle, um, which really sets out how government policies on taxes and subsidies and, and, and regulations is the key to getting to zero carbon. A couple of other questions here. Uh, Caroline says, uh, this feeds into something we spoke about a second ago, you spent years telling us that fracking was bad and now you're backing <laughs> geothermal power. I mean, I wasn't going to mention that, Dale, but I did yeah. wonder how uh, there must be distinctions here or it must be a way that you're satisfied with uh, technology in this respect because you can see why people would make the argument that Caroline has, has put forward. Well, I, I can and I can't, actually, because if you look at the practice of fracking, it involves pumping a toxic liquid underground at huge pressure and destroying vast areas of rock. You know, And if you look at the practice of geothermal, it involves drilling. Uh, you know, it's a fair, just a massive black and decker, isn't it? Really, yeah, it's, it's, it's one long, relatively narrow hole. You know, you could you could say one is like keyhole surgery, and the other one is like a slaughterhouse. You know, a complete destruction of a body compared to uh, making a small hole in yeah, it. Yeah, good, good uh, analogy. Yeah, so I think, yeah, of course, it it has an impact on the ground, but it's nothing like the disaster of fracking. There's there's a world of difference. And here's one from George: uh, Have I won a sky diamond yet? <laughs> in fact, on that point, I just heard the book bugle. So to just explain for those new to this, they've just listened to this podcast for the very first time, Dale. Uh, what is the Sky Diamond? What is the book? Well, the Sky Diamond is something we launched, I think it was last November, 
may, it may have been October, it all blurred a little bit. Uh, something new that we've, we've done, which is to, we've created a process to make diamonds from atmospheric carbon. So we can take carbon dioxide out of the air and uh, turn it into a diamond, the most permanent form of carbon known to mankind. And we're very excited with the whole concept and, and the whole process is carbon negative. And, you know, we put cleaner air back into the atmosphere than we take out. So it's an industrial first in that respect. And so we're excited by that. We tied it into the book and uh, ran a Willy Wonka style competition. Anyone buying a book up until the 31st of December last year qualified for the draw. We're going to give away 10 diamond tickets, which... Uh, will enable people to come and see the factory, uh, meet with me, uh, have a tour, and walk away with the very own Sky Diamond. And the draw for that is on the 13th of January. I think it's live online, actually. Fantastic. Wednesday, 13th, live on your Facebook page. And uh, Dale, have a cracking week. We'll speak next Friday. Yeah, I got one for you, actually. I got a question. Go I got a question for you. It's, uh, it's, it's Ian. What's the, uh, what, what has Talk Radio and Donald Trump got in common? Go on. You've both been banned from social and, media. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, talk radios did come back uh, quite quite fast. I think the I think the YouTube boys uh, had to lob their tail between their legs um, a little bit and go. Yeah, I think we might have overreacted. Even by our standard, we might have overreacted. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that YouTube have taken the Trump stuff off, but allowed the Chinese embassy to talk about how brilliant their human rights are against yeah. many of uh, many of the people they're accused of actually abusing. But that's apparently stayed up there for some reason. Does it? Uh, Brilliant. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it was all down to Mike Graham anyway, the talk radio problem. I, I think Our good was. friend. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's exactly what it was. Definitely we'll blame him. Uh, we'll speak next week, Dale. <laughs> yep. Choose him. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, to subscribe for free from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Do leave a review there as well. If you want to get in touch, zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk is a rather easy way or via social media. And on that point, do make sure you follow Dale, twitter.com slash dalevince or facebook.com slash delvins we'll be back in one week zero carbon east off